The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on Alan Smith, who is the executive director of Saving Innocence, which is an organization that raises info and does activist activity to combat human trafficking. So welcome to the show, Alan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Zuby. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you here. No doubt, ma'am. So I've done a brief intro there, but for people who are not familiar with you and your work, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I uh, just celebrated my 38th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, two great kids, one great daughter-in-law, and uh, those, are the, those are the things that get me going every day. Uh, as far as my day job, you mentioned I'm the executive director of an anti-human trafficking agency called Saving Innocence. And you can find us at savinginnocence.org. <clears throat> Excuse me. We specialized in the recovery and the restoration of child victims of sex trafficking. Now, there's no acceptable or good version of human trafficking. But when you're talking about children uh, being owned and bought and sold like a piece of property and then you know, sexually abused in horrific ways. It's, it's kind of the worst of the worst, if you, in my opinion. And uh, so we, we're, we're up to eyeballs every day. And um, our boots are on the ground in Los Angeles. But we, um, we have a, a, a national impact because we train and consult around the country. And as of late, we're part of, we're co-leading the, the task force here in LA, which means we become an international, national and international effort because... Uh, so many uh, boys and girls, but a lot of young women are being trafficked across our southern border and then dispersed around the country. There's an interconnected, uh, you know, trafficking consortium, if you will. And, and so we're in the middle of all that right now, which is really heartbreaking at a, at a huge level. Yeah. And how long have you been doing this work for? Uh, I've been in, in this particular position for about almost seven years now. Uh, before that was going another direction uh, in nonprofit work, working with, with kids in an organization called Young Life. Stepped away from that for 25 after 25 years. And now it's my honor to be uh, in this work right here and, and fighting this fight. Yeah. And what is the scale of this problem? Because human trafficking is one of those things. It's one of those terms that people hear, 
But I think, number one, I don't think a lot of people know exactly what it means because it seems to have quite a broad definition, which goes beyond, I think, what people normally assume. I think there's a kind of obvious version of it that people assume, but my understanding is that it goes outside of those boundaries. So first of all, can you explain exactly what the term means? How specific or broad is it? What is classified as human trafficking? No, that's a great question. Uh, The federal definition includes three important words, and they are force, fraud, or coercion. And so it's basically um, exchanging, selling someone in this case, renting them is more specifically what normally is happening. And and that person is under the control of a third party, the trafficker and street language, the pimp. Mm -hmm. And he, he is asserting ownership over someone who is um, vulnerable and available for a lot of different reasons. And then he's exchanging their services, whether it be labor or sex uh, for some, some sort of usually monetary gain. And so, and he's doing so by asserting force, violent force, oftentimes fraud, or coercion. Mm -hmm. So I said sex and labor, those are the two big buckets that most people think about. And um, in terms of the scope of it, it's it's larger than most people think. There's more and more podcasts like this and more and more documentaries and those kinds of things. So most people are more aware now than ever. But I think that the scope is shocking. Uh, It's it's called the largest growing criminal enterprise in the world. So oh, wow. this, is a, this is a massive global problem. Are there any are there any sort of numbers or estimates you can give for either what's happening within the USA or even yeah. on an international level? Yeah, um, the International Justice Mission, which works exclusively international per their name, um, they've estimated there's some 40 to 45 million slaves worldwide. Uh, this is called the modern day slavery. Mm-hmm. And uh, so some 40, 45 million. Think about that. Uh, worldwide in human trafficking. And in our country, you know, as I mentioned, we focus uh, mostly on minors and the numbers that are out there suggest there's uh, at least 300,000 children. And these are, mind you, predominantly U.S. born American citizens. There are people being trafficked across the southern border, which I mentioned earlier, but the, the vast majority of the minors being trafficked in our country are vulnerable kids, many of which coming from the inner cities mm-hmm. and many of which are already in foster care. They've already had their life blown up in a lot of different ways. And now they are vulnerable and available to uh, outside control. And so Wait, it, okay. it's tragic. You, you said how, how many in the USA? How many children? There's, there's at least 300,000. 300,000. If I yeah. memory serves me correctly, I think there's about 70 million children in the USA. That sounds about right, I guess. About right. So 200,000 out of 70 million. 300,000. 300,000 out yeah. of, that's a, that's a, that sounds way higher than I think what most people would imagine. And that's the big aha, you know, the, the regular person walking down the street. First of all, when they think of child trafficking, they're thinking Thailand, Cambodia, right? It's someplace mm-hmm. way over there. It's not my problem. It's, I, I can't, can't do anything about it. What they don't understand is that it is here in a big way. The United States is the largest producer and consumer of sexual content. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that uh, there'd be huge numbers of people being sold for sex in our country. And it's 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 bigger than you think, and it's closer than you think to where you are yeah. right now. So what does the majority of this, of this look like um, in terms of, so say out of that 300,000 in the USA, what's the, what's the estimated breakdown of, 
how this is happening because that sounds like a shocking number. That sounds like this can't just be people being, you know, packed into vans and being driven right. around or that kind of obvious, shall we say, way of doing things. It sounds like it's something more below the surface and something perhaps more coercive. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Um, some 80%-ish around that number of these kids being trafficked are already in the foster care system. Okay. So they've already been neglected and abused in a horrific way. So much so the the child services, the you know, the government around them said, we're going to take you out of that dangerous situation, that abusive situation and protect you. And so, but the problem is that that child has already been damaged, you know, incredibly damaged. Uh, and, and now they're looking for uh, protection and affection and love and the same kinds of things that, you know, all humans are looking for. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but at 12, 13, 14 years old, and the average age of entry is around 12 years old, by the way, that's the average age. Um, the trafficker is a, a, another word is a predator. You know, you know what a predator does. You've seen it on National Geographic, that lion sleeks in the tall grass downwind, you know, and he doesn't pounce on the big, strong, confident one in the herd. He, he waits for the little one that falls behind, who's unaware, who's weak. And he jumps on that one typically. And that's what's happening. It's a, uh, it's, it's insidious. There's predators out there. The FBI says there's a, at least 900,000 predators online at any given Whoa. moment online and and that's is, that's, is that ju just in the usa or globally well online so i guess that okay. means globally okay. but you know i i think the context was you know in, in our in our sphere here but like i said because it's the internet it's, it's who knows where yeah, they are sure and i think that number is low honestly that's, that's an older yeah. stat and so kids are largely unsupervised you know by their parents are out trying to you know keep the family together and a job and everything the kid the babysitter now is their smartphone and their video gaming system and there's a million plus easily people on there masquerading as somebody else entering into conversation. At first, it sounds harmless. And at first it is harmless, except he has bad intentions the entire time. And they form this quote unquote relationship with somebody online. And next thing you know, it escalates one step at a time and they get sucked into this rabbit hole. And next thing you know, they're in a quote relationship with their new boyfriend. Mm. And it, it all goes downhill really fast. So is this something that is getting worse, do you think? Or is it something that we are becoming more aware of due to having more information? Um, do you have any ideas around that? Is this a growing problem? Is this something that used to be worse before, but it's better, but you know, it's getting better, but it's more exposed right. now? How does that weigh up? Because of course, the technology, of course, as you've mentioned, has enabled a lot of this. Before, if somebody wanted to engage in this type of predatory behavior, it would, in most cases, have to be a lot more brazen. Um, they wouldn't yeah. be able to hide behind screens and pseudonyms and avatars on the internet and target children that way. Um, they'd have to do it in person. So how does that, um, how, how has the technology impacted what's going on here? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, the technology has thrown gasoline on a bonfire you know because like, mm -hmm. as you mentioned it's not it's not now as visible and easily observable as it was once was um there are still in every major city uh, in washington dc where you are now in los angeles where i am now and pick a city there are known places they're called tracks where where people are out being they're for sale out on streets many of them minors and so you can see it but um 
it's really gone online in a big way and all the apps and all those things. And so it's in the shadows more than ever. It, it's hard to see more than ever. Oh, wait. So you're saying there are places in the cities that yes. are known. Yes. Where in real life transactions take place. hundred percent. Yeah. You, you could go, you could go down to LA. If you're familiar with LA, you go down to Figaro. It's a major thoroughfare going to run the length of Los Angeles. And there's big chunks of that, that street where, there's hundreds of uh, mostly women and girls that are out on that street being for sold. And, and I don't, I'm not familiar with the exact streets where you are or any of your listeners, but I hundred percent promise you that it's happening out in the open. How's that possible? I mean, why? Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not from the U S so I don't understand everything, <laughs> right. but it right. seems bizarre to me that it could be that brazen and that is known and the authorities are aware of it. Yeah. Why do they let that continue to happen? Well, Zuby, I'm telling you what, if we could answer that question, uh, the world would be a better place. There's, it's a, probably a more complicated answer. I think part of it is, and by the way, I know you're from the UK. It's happening in, in London. It's mm-hmm. happening all throughout Europe. It's happening, again, all over this world. It's a global humanitarian crisis. Um, I think some of the reasons why, um, why it's happening is that historically, here in our country anyway, there's been a, the, the judicial system, the laws, the, the enforcement has been lagging behind. It's been a misunderstood crime. Uh, people think because there's an exchange of money for sex that it's, quote, prostitution. And um, it, it's impossible for a minor. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. They can't be a prostitute because the federal age of consent is 18 years old. So they can't even use that definition. So they, they, the, the misunderstanding is is that the people that are out there being sold are doing it through their own choice that they want Mm. to be doing it. And there is a small percentage of women that would say I'm doing this, you know, on my own choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd have to peel that onion and ask, see what happened to them when they were young, when they were a child and and have a better conversation about that. But the vast majority are not there by their own choice, but the perception is that they are. And then, as I mentioned earlier, some 80% of the victims are coming out of the foster care system, a disproportionately high little girls of color. Um, you know, here in this country, a, a young African-American girl from the inner city in the foster care system doesn't rank very high on the to-do list of things to fix. Sadly, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the law enforcement, the, the governments, the people that are voted into office have quote unquote, bigger fish to fry. So they think, and there just isn't enough public outrage. And that's partly why I'm grateful to be on a show like yours with the reach that you have. And I don't know if you, you, we want to talk about this at all, but I co-authored a book with a number of survivors who are telling mm-hmm. their story called Men Fight For Me. And there are women involved at every level of this crime, but the vast majority of all the buyers and the sellers are men. So the only way, honestly, the only way this thing is going to go away is if we can get enough men to rise up, to stand up, to accept the challenge, to get in the fight and say, no more, not on my watch. We yeah. can end this. If we get enough good men to stand up, we can end this. And that's part of the reason why it keeps going, because there's not enough good men out there that understand it, that see it, or willing to get involved in, in the fight. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely want to I definitely want to talk about your book. The, the okay. thing that's blowing my mind is the sort of extent and scale of this problem. I mean... It's a weird one because it's one of those issues. I mean, if you say modern day slavery or human trafficking to people, most people 
know what that means and they hear about it. But for whatever reason, it's one of those issues that, despite the scale of it, it seems to the I don't know if, if, if it's the media or politicians just not talking about it. But it's one of those ones where I mean, there are other issues which are way, you know, far, far, far smaller scale much, much smaller problems than this one, but they get blown to this huge proportion and people are hyper aware and hyper conscious of them. Sometimes they're more imaginary than they are real or extremely exaggerated in some cases. But in this one, it seems like it's the it's the opposite. Um, when you gave me those figures, my you know, it, it, it's shocking when you talk about how brazen it is in some places. And this is also an issue where it would be it would be bipartisan, right? This isn't something where like, oh, you know, one side of the aisle cares about it and the other right. doesn't or so on. This is just something that right. all people are like, no, this is bad. Like slavery, no. Human yep. trafficking, no. But I genuinely think that most people are not are not extremely are, are not particularly aware of it because yeah. You don't hear about it. You you really don't hear about it if you turn on the TV or open a newspaper or are on social media. Unless you follow a very small handful of people, you're not hearing about this. You're much more likely to think that a massive problem is, um, you know, people being murdered by police officers or, um, you know, whatever's going on in universities or or this or that. They they hype up many many other issues, which you know, some sometimes there's some credibility to them. Yeah. But the proportionality, the proportionality doesn't seem to make sense. I think another thing that's that complicates this issue, because, again, you were you were talking about um, about prostitution. I mean, first of all, you have people who are trying to rename this and you know call everything sex work and who are trying to you know normalize sex work. And you have this whole stream of people who consider themselves liberals or progressives or even some libertarians. And they're kind of really big on trying to destigmatize sex work and even yeah. legalize it and normalize prostitute, all, all, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I have moral issues with that to begin with. But I think another thing that gets really messy with that is where is this line between consensual activity and coerced activity? Right. Because there could be some of these situations, as you've alluded to, where someone is out there on the street or getting pimped essentially online and it has this veneer of being totally willing and consensual. But there could be all kinds of things in the background, in the present or in the past that have led to that road. So I think another big issue when people are trying to so-called normalize all of this stuff and, you know, be pro sex work beyond the you know moral and ethical issues a lot of people would have with that is also just well how, how do you know that this is something that this person is willingly going into with sound mind with no coercion it is genuinely just an adult to adult transaction right. the, the whole thing just gets really really messy and i think um oftentimes even the people who are advocating for it don't think of that uh you you're exactly right and, and I mentioned it earlier, but there is a hard line, uh, a minor uh, that's it's called rape if you have sex with a minor. Yes. So so we can draw a line at the age of 18, at least. Uh, here in well, our people don't even want to do that these days. Uh, I know. You're right. Issues. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there, there really is a, a really interesting thin line. And there's some great survivors out there that have great books out there. And they contributed to the book that we'll talk about in a minute. And they shared their stories. There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of actual brainwashing 
and it's born out of vulnerability and abuse. And so this this would be adult who says she or he is out there doing it willingly. I, I, I can you know pretty much promise you I'm not that person. I haven't been that person, but I know enough of those people. And um, it's the result of a lifetime of abuse and manipulation. And in their mind, they're thinking, I want to do this. And right now, someone's listening to this. I'm going to get a lot of <laughs> a lot of hate mail because they're going to say, who are you to comment on, on my mm-hmm. life? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying from the people I know who have lived through it, there's a lot of abuse and manipulation and coercion that has led them to the place where it's even possible in their life that, yeah, I'm doing this. I, I want to do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. The vast majority, I can tell you this, don't want to be there. They're forced. Their uh, violence is perpetrated upon them, sometimes lethal. Uh, we've had kids that we're kids, minors, that are part of the Saving Innocence database have been murdered, wow, killed because they stepped out of line in some way uh, against their traffickers. So the, it's a it's a it's a brutal existence. It's a rough, brutal, uh, humiliating existence. Mm-hmm violent existence for the most vulnerable among us. And uh, why isn't there more outrage? (laughs) That's why we're here right now. Let's get some more people to get outraged. This is wrong. It's bigger than a political party. It's bigger than a particular religion or lack of a faith or a faith. It's bigger than all those things. This humanitarian Mm -hmm. crisis right in our midst happening amongst the most vulnerable. And uh, I, when I think of, again, predominantly men, when I think of men, and, and they're not doing anything about it, even if it's a token donation once in a while to an organization, if they're not doing anything, I think, okay, one of two things are happening. Either they just don't know, or they're actually participating. They're part of the problem because mm-hmm. there's no middle ground for me. You have to be doing something. If you get, if you look at this in the, in the face, you have to be doing something because it's so horrific. And if you're not doing it either, you just don't know about it. And I don't hold you, you know, hold, I don't, that's that's fine. Now let's figure it out. Let's let's educate you. And if you still don't do anything, uh, I got I got to say you're probably part of the problem. You are part well, of the problem. Well, I think I think um, to be charitable, I think a lot of people also think not just on this issue, but many issues. I think people think, well, what can I do? Yeah, I right. mean, what 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 is to be done? Say somebody is aware of this, and they're like, okay, this is bad. This is this is a problem. It could be this, or it could be other issues. But there are certain things where people feel powerless they're like well i'm just a normal everyday person i mean i guess i could make a donation there's lots of <clears throat> charities out there of different right. sorts but um you know i'm not i'm, I'm not participating in this right i'm not a, i'm not a right. guilty person i i'm right. i'm right. again i'm against this but what so what can what can people do what can men and women yeah. who are just concerned about this issue in the world in their country in their yeah. locality what can the average person do that's the right question and not a shameless plug, but I do detail in a lot of details in the book that we'll talk about what here's practical things that you can do There's a whole chapter, big picture, macro, micro. Here's what you can do, things you can vote for, things you can vote against, ways you can get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, again, my, my lane predominantly is men. And I would say, guys, all of us, I'm in this group, too. I'm a man. If we're not actively participating in the way that we're describing, which most men aren't, then we are passively just allowing it to happen. We're looking the other way. We probably know more than we say we know. We know there's something out there and we're, we're letting we're allowing it to happen. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. If, if we know something terrible is happening and we're not doing anything whatsoever about it, we're complicit in that terrible thing still mm-hmm. happening. 
And I would say there's also lots of things. I want to expand the boundaries of what it means to be participating in, uh, in the exploitation of people, women and children, oftentimes. Okay. Most, it, it's not just going on the street corner or going on, a, on an app and ordering some time in a, a car or a motel room. That's the worst possible visible example of what we're talking about. What most people are unaware, what most men are unaware, is that when they turn on their phone, their tablet, their computer, oftentimes maybe late at night if their wife or girlfriend's not there and they start looking at pornography, what they don't understand is most of the people they're looking at that are on the screen are there against their will. And in some cases, actually being trafficked. We have trafficking survivors that are being trafficked, owned by a third person, forced to go to a motel room or some kind of a movie set, get raped all night long, somebody's filming it, and now that's up on pornography, wow. under quote pornography. And so your average knucklehead sitting there looking at a screen, getting some sort of enjoyment watching pornography, has no idea. There's no disclaimer. There's no button that says this person is uh, there against their will. This person is there consensually. You can, there's no way of knowing. And a, the, a huge percentage of the people, we know this, that are on the screen are there coerced, manipulated, in some cases outright forced to be there. And now that's feeding this dark, ugly beast of exploitation and trafficking. Yeah. How is that How is that information known? And if that information is known, again, how is it not acted upon? I mean, if, if how, first first question, let me not ask too many questions at once, but <laughs> how is that sort of information gleaned? So how would how would someone say, OK, X percent of the people involved in in this are are being trafficked? How's that information found out? There are um, there are anecdotal stories of people that we know in it. That's one thing, but that's not a really big, that's not a, you know, an actual super verifiable way. We know it's happening. Uh, I have a friend that's going to be releasing a, a documentary. Uh, he spent five years interviewing everybody in the porn industry, all the people, everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, he came back to me, he said, with a chilling statement, I actually quote him in the book. He says, uh, mo and he said, for the, the testimonies of the actors, most of them are there against their will in some way, shape or form. And then if you were following or you saw it on the news or online, uh, Pornhub was formerly the, one of the largest, you know, pornography, billions of views in a month kind of a thing. Well, there was an outside effort, an organization called Exodus Cry. They renamed it Trafficking Hub and just, you know, in their own graphics and their own, uh, you know, communication. And they began to expose one after the other. And pretty soon the credit card processors left them because there was so much evidence that it was a trafficking hub, not a porn hub. People were there against their will. People were there, uh, minors, children. So next thing you know, MasterCard and B of A, and all these people were pulling out like you can't, you can't pay them anymore. And it shrunk. They had the, it, it was infested with rape videos was the terminology. And uh, so much so, there was so much public outcry on the CEO and the owners. They had to delete some 80 or 90% of all the videos that are on Pornhub. It basically got shut down. It's probably still out there some way, in some way, shape or form. But there's been a lot of notoriety on that specifically over this last year or two, couple of years, a lot of it by uh, this other organization I mentioned and just people in general understanding it. Mm -hmm. We have a survivor saying, uh, I was forced to be in this room. I got raped over and over again. And every time someone, uh, as a child, by the way, a minor, every time someone is, watches that video, they're watching me being raped. And there was some 5 million views or something at the time she said that. And the guy watching, the guy watching it doesn't know that. Yeah, of course not. 
and or maybe he does know it and doesn't care. No, I don't know. I, I would wager that 99% don't have yeah. a clue. I, I think people are not informed on this issue much at all. I mean, outside of I'm I'm only particularly aware of it because I I do a podcast. I've had um, Eliza Blue on my podcast, and you know it's something that's been discussed. And I follow certain people online, but from a mainstream perspective, yeah, I mean, you might see the odd the odd poster here and there if you're on a subway or you're on an elevator. It'll you know sort of say something like you know human trafficking is a problem, or you know there are still modern day modern day slavery, yeah. um, but it's not really it gives like a little awareness but it doesn't state the extent of the problem let alone what you can do about it so much it, it might have a you know some guidelines where if if you know some things to look out for if you're in certain situations especially when it comes to um people who may have been trafficked and they're they're being forced, I don't know, to work in a, I don't know whether it's a store or a car wash or something like that. There's a little bit of info, but I just think it's not, it's really not in the, in the public consciousness so much. Um, Exactly why that is. I, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I I just, I really don't think it's on most people's radars. Uh, Agreed. And when anything uh, thrives in the shadows and the darkness, um, and it remains in the darkness. It continues to thrive and grow. And that's where this is, has been historically. Mm-hmm. A lot of misunderstandings. The, there aren't necessarily laws that are appropriate. Um, we have to reframe the language. The language is wrong. You know, like I mentioned earlier, child prostitute. That means kind of she wants to do it. No, not at all. Yeah. She doesn't want to do it. And so we're in the, pro- a lot of our work is saving innocence. We're we're first responders in the middle of the night. We step into the situations and we help these girls get everything they need. But another part of it is the awareness, the education, the training of the outside world and um, to help people understand it. I don't think they're going to take it seriously. They meaning people that can make a difference and, you know, politicians and law enforcement and anyone else who's been an elected official. I don't think they're really going to take it seriously until one, the people that voted for them force them to take it seriously. We mm-hmm. need, we need a, a Cross the tipping point, and more to the point, probably until it hits closer to home. It's the perception still is it's far away. Yeah. It's not far away, and until it affects somebody in their family, maybe or someone they care about and love, their eyes aren't going to be opened to it. And for uh, it'll be a tragedy if it takes that long because mm-hmm. it might not ever get that close to someone who can make a difference. But it's not as far away as they think. I promise. I hear you. Tell me a little bit more about the work that Saving Innocence does. How do you intervene in such situations? Yeah, we're contracted by uh, the County of Los Angeles to uh, respond. Uh, There's a a protocol called the First Responder Protocol. And uh, Los Angeles is really doing well in a lot of ways. There's certainly lots of ways a big city will struggle for sure. But um, we're doing pretty well in terms of collaboration amongst law enforcement entities and um, everybody who can see this problem is kind of working together. And part of that is this protocol um, that was founded and started in 2014, 15. And and that is basically everyone is hands on deck. LAPD, Sheriff's Department, Homeland Security, all under one roof and at a task force, which we're a part of. And we help lead now. And so when a child victim, and now lately we've been working with adults too, but a child victim, what appears to be a victim of human trafficking, 
gets recovered or or identified by someone, a, a cop out on the street, they have been trained appropriately, know what to do. They call a hotline and then we show up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're anywhere in L.A. County within 90 minutes, which if you're familiar with L.A., that's no small feat mm-hmm. <laughs> to accomplish. And um, we've got a, a team of advocates that are on call around the clock and show up, step into that relationship with that child and then help her put her life back together. And so then she enters, quote, unquote, our caseload. At any given time, we have about 150 such victims of trafficking that we are walking with every single day, mm-hmm. um, creating safety around them, helping them to piece their life back together. And then a lot of the tangible needs, getting the therapy they need, um, practical items and walk with them until they don't need us anymore. That's the essence of what we do. We also have a foster family agency within Saving Innocence. We figured out the biggest problem that we can solve for these kids is a lack of a healthy intact, loving, protective family around them. That's what mm-hmm. caused their vulnerability for most in the most cases. So now we're out recruiting and training the correct family with the right heart and, and uh, enough room in their heart and their home, I like to say. And then we're going to train them appropriately. And then we get the match. We've been uh, certified by the state and by the county to then we get to match the kids that we know mm-hmm. and what their needs are with the families that we recruited and trained. And then we're going to walk with them. It's going to be a game changer. We're just launching that right now. Okay. That's the essence of what we do. I hear that. And what about the perpetrators? Who are who are the people who are typically doing this? The people that are doing it, um, th- that's a, that's part of the misconception. They think it's some grungy guy living in a van down by the river, mm-hmm. some some guy under a bridge, and probably there are some of those. But it's it's the everyday guy. Uh, you, there's a good chance you know someone who's a sex buyer. Um, it's the guy next door. It's somebody I- that. <laughs> I actually, I'd, l- I'd like to think I probably don't, but who knows? Who knows? I'd like to think well, I don't. I, I'd like to I've think got the good, same I've thing. got a good read on people. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's a pastor at a church. It's a wow. cop. It's the dentist. It's a little league coach. It's your brother-in-law. It's regular people that have gone down this dark rabbit hole of addiction. It, usually the on-ramp is oftentimes pornography. They've gone down this rabbit hole of pornography. Uh, they begin to self-medicate. And like with any addiction, there comes a point where you need a little bit more to get the same high. And so they a little bit more and a little bit further down that rabbit hole. The pornography usually, usually that means they're going to more violent and younger websites for porn. And then at some point they cross that line into, well, I wonder what that would be like if I could actually live that out. They have some sort of fetish, some mm-hmm. sort of fantasy. And a lot of them are married men who are like, my wife, I could never live that out with my wife she's or maybe maybe i've even kind of hinted and asked and she said what are you, you kidding no but he can go to someone and i've heard this phrase over and over again someone they can have power over oh, wow. and yeah it's a 14 year old who's being forced to be there doesn't have a choice i'm going to pay my money whatever it is and we're going to do this thing and uh it's kind of everybody there's no one profile and, and this is also something i mean i think one thing people are aware of now in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein and the whole Ghislaine Maxwell situation is that there are people high up and in powerful positions who are engaging in this stuff. I think at least that's certainly on people's radar. Um, And even that has been very shush, shush, right? We we know, okay, we, we found out who the traffickers were, or at least a couple of them, but who were the clients, right? I mean, that's the... and that, that one seems to have been sweeped under the rug very quickly. It was like, okay, cool. We arrested these people. And it was like, okay, well, I mean, there's two sides of a, of a transaction here. 
Yeah. Um, and the other side of the equation is going to be far more numerous. And that just, again, it gets swept under the carpet and then people get distracted by something else. Something else hits the news cycle. And the truth is people are, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to be disparaging to people in general, but the truth is people care about what they're told to care about. So if they're told to care about this situation that's happening domestically or abroad, that's where the focus goes. That's where the attention goes. And something I've noticed is that it's hard to have one more than one thing that people really, really care about at once. Maybe sometimes you can get two, but typically it's one. And then when the next thing comes, that that becomes everything. And then the next thing comes and that becomes everything. And whatever there was there previously, there was a time when a lot of people were really interested in, hey, what's going on with a. this Jeffrey Epstein situation. Uh, this is very strange. And then something else hit the news cycle and 95% of that attention just very quickly went somewhere else. And if it doesn't directly affect what I already care about, yes. it doesn't directly affect that. I, I have a hard time really caring deeply about something that's way someplace over there, some, some other location. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the, the Epstein thing, I mean, the document, I'm sure you saw that document. It was out. I mean, why, so why doesn't, why don't the rich and powerful people put an end to this? Because a lot of rich and powerful people are involved in it. Oh, boy. And not only, I mean, ones that you would recognize their names, but a lot just in a local, you know, in a county or state or a city, you don't know their name, but they're high up the food chain in the court system or the law enforcement. And it's kind of this, quote, good old boy system. Mm. They cover for each other and and they're not going to blow the lid off it. I mean, I don't know who it was, but the royal members of the royal family were there. Yep. Former presidents of our country were on yep. that island. Yep. And it's like, you know, this Maxwell lady got, got sentenced because she was part of trafficking all these, you know, these minors. Okay. Like you mentioned, who are the customers? I want to mm-hmm. see that list. Who'd you sell them to? D lane Maxwell. Who are the customers? Let's publish that list. Yeah. Until it gets published, they're going to go, go away and abuse somebody else. Somebody different. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It, it's sad. It's uh, it's it's a sad situation. So, Alan, tell me, tell me more about your book because you're particularly enthusiastic and want to let men know, in particular, how they can get involved in this. So, number one, tell me about the book, and number two, why specifically um, are you directing it towards men? That's a great question. Uh, the book is a is a passion project. It's a labor of love. And um, it was born several years ago when I was at an event, uh, an awareness event at a church on a Saturday in Los Angeles. And um, like most events of that nature, it's almost all women in the room. There's a few men, mostly women. And any training event, any county event, anything that I go to, it's mostly a bunch of strong, awesome, incredible women that are fighting this fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's interesting. But then you couple, they stacked on the, the knowledge I have because of my position at Saving Innocence. Almost all the perpetrators are men, mm-hmm. almost all the buyers, almost all the sellers. And then at this event, there's this uh, amazing survivor, lived experience expert um, on a panel. And two of our staff were on the panel as well. That's why I was there. And I was in the audience. And she's telling about her trauma and how she was exploited, coerced, went away to college, came from a great home, a great family, you know, 3.8 GPA, MVP, the softball team had it all going for prom queen. I mean, everything and uh, a fraudulent, here's the fraud force, fraud and coercion, a fraudulent modeling agent showed up in a three piece suit with a business card said, I know talent. I'd love you to, you know, sign on with my agency. Long story short, he begins to sell her 
starts threatening her life and the life of her parents if she doesn't comply. And she and she's telling this story on the panel. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, I gave up. She said, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And that lit a fire inside of me because mm-hmm. I know it's mostly men causing this problem, participating in it. And now I have a survivor, a trafficking survivor on the stage saying, I need someone to fight for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'll fight for you and you and you. And I'm going to see how many other people, good men, I can get to, to fight with me. So I've sort of taken it upon myself. Uh, you know, men aren't going to want to be corrected on these kinds of issues by anyone, but especially not women. It's going to take another man, man to man, to look each other in the eye and say, no more, not on my watch. And that's where the book uh, was born. I didn't know it in that day, mm-hmm. but I was wrestling with all that. And the, the title is, uh, for the longest time, it was just Fight For Me, quoting mm-hmm. the survivor saying, I need someone to fight for me. And then our book consultant said, add the word men. You know, it'll show up in men's searches and on men's things. And that's the target audience. It's really for everybody. A lot of women are reading it and loving it. It's really educational, informative. There's a bunch of great survivors that are sharing their life and their story. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. But there is a good 20% of the book, I suppose, that's me and my male voice um, calling out men. It's not man shaming. It's not, you know, not dumping hot, burning coals on men in general. It's mm-hmm. like, come come with me, guys. Join me on this journey. Let me show you what I've learned and what I've seen. And I'll introduce you to a few of the heroes along the way. And so we call it Men Fight For Me, co-authored with a, an amazing survivor named Jessica. And the proceeds are going to survivors of sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. So I would ask all of your listeners to go to fightforme.net. <laughs> it's a little website. It's got bios of the contributors and the survivors. There's other resources and other links. You can learn about this issue. Buy as many books as you can and give them out to everyone in your life, but the men in your life. Buy a case of books. I can be so <laughs> bold. And give them to all the men in your life. And uh, let's get this word out there and let's inspire generations of change. Mm-hmm. It's very practical, but it's also pretty uh, gripping and informative, too, on what's happening. Awesome. Before we were we were going to talk about some things that uh, so earlier on, I asked a question, which I don't, I don't think we really got to the answer, which is I know a lot of this is going to be contained in the book. But for those who are just listening to the podcast, for, for the guy who's listening to this thinking, OK, this is eye opening. This is interesting. I would like to help in some way, mm-hmm. shape or form. Give us some practical advice and information on what the average person can do. Well, there's this amazing little website called Google. You may have heard of it. Mm -hmm. And I would invite all your listeners to Google up something along the lines of human trafficking agency near me. Anti-trafficking agencies. Find that in any major city, there's going to be some effort for sure. Find Go down the rabbit hole and get, number one, get a little more educated. Get the book. Okay, shameless plug. But go down Google and watch some documentaries, read some articles, understand what this is and what it isn't, and then find a local anti-trafficking agency. Go to their website. See how many staff they have if it's listed. Or call them and find out. Go to info at whatever agency it is. Go to the, send an email. And if they have 10 staff or 15 or 20, next time you go down to buy your groceries, get a Starbucks gift card for every one of their staff people. Put it in the mail. With a note, thank you so much for doing this. I can't tell you how encouraged and happy those staff will be who are up to their eyeballs in tragedy every single day to know that somebody out there recognizes it. I see you. Thank you. Simple, kind word. You can do that for sure. Become a donor. Go to their website. Become a $25 a month donor to this agency that's near you and, and say, what, what do you need? And part of the answer that I have when they say, what can I do? You said those exact words. I, I usually, my first response is turn it around. I don't know. What can you do? 
Like for you, Zuby, you've got a great podcast with a following. You mm-hmm. can have me on your podcast. That's what you I can know. do. I'm doing it right now. Exactly. And so there's other people out there with other skills and talents and understandings. I, I say, what can you do? Who do you know? What do you know? Where'd you go to school? What about your friends? Introduce us, me. <laughs> Send me a note at savingus.org um, or anyone in your neck of the woods and uh, make those connections. You can do that. You can broker what you already know, who you already have. Maybe you're a great graphic designer. There's an organization that needs help with their flyers. Maybe you do video editing. Mm-hmm. They'd all love a little three-minute promotional video. Maybe you can bring your resources to bear on the work. You don't have to begin an organization. You have to go found an organization. There's already a bunch of organizations out there. Come alongside one of them and offer your gifts and skills and talents, your resources, and help them do their work. Everybody can do that. Everybody can buy an extra gift card and send it in the mail to the organization. If you can't find an organization, savinginnocence.org. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you might have one in your neighborhood you'd be more excited about. And every man can do that. And then ultimately, the ultimate answer, and I go into in the book, I give the ultimate answer. Uh, the ultimate answer is for enough men to rise up and live differently. That's what you can do. It starts mm-hmm. in your own home. Mm-hmm. The kind of man you are, the kind of husband you are, the kind of father you are, your children are watching you, and you are outgunned by the internet, by popular rap music. A lot of it is destructive. A lot of it isn't, but a lot of it is. And Listen there's to mess- instead. Right. Listen to Zuby. <laughs> uh, but the knuckleheads that are out there that have made mm. gazillions of dollars and are well-known names, I'm not going to name them here. You all know who they are. They are referring to women and sexuality as garbage and disposable. And these messages are coming into our children if we're not careful. Stand guard at the front door. Monitor what content your kids uh, consume and what you consume. And then go to your buddy and get a little men's group. Go to your neighborhood. Go to your city. Mm-hmm. Let's let's have a big vision. If we can we just I don't know what the right number is. Yeah. We gotta cross the tipping point and get enough men to see this and now be part of the solution and good things can happen. I hear that. I mean, I think another another thing that happens with issues like this is I think it's assumed. I mean, because one part of me is also thinking, I mean, shouldn't I'm sure you know that this will be happening to some degree, but what what is the role of law enforcement in this? I mean, there are all these different police departments and there's all these different government agencies and so on, which people are funding with their taxpayer money. So I think another thing that happens, of course, is people think, well, I mean, I'm I'm paying my taxes. I mean, law enforcement is yeah. supposed to be dealing with that. Like that's that's crime, just like it's not my job to go and solve all the right. robberies and muggings and uh, burglaries and murders that happen. Yeah, that's the police's job. So I think that's another thing that happens is where people think, okay, well, human trafficking, that is, aren't law enforcement doing that? We are living in extraordinary times right now here in our country. Uh, you know, some really bad things happened on videotape uh, over the last couple of years, you know, George Floyd and, and other things that happened that were horrific. And so because of that, some of the public response, at least a part of the public thinks it's a good idea to quote defund the police. Let's have less police. Let's not have police at all in mm-hmm. some cities. And so <laughs> it's hard to, uh, it's hard to enforce crimes against criminals, regardless of what the crime is. And we see a crime spree all over our country right now. Yes. It's, it's playing out for us. Um, the answer is not less police. Maybe we can improve the training. Maybe we can, you know, don't do less. We need more. Mm-hmm. 
and have them trained appropriately and see this appropriately, they have a huge role. They're the first, they're the true first responders. They're on the street with guns and badges. Organizations like us, we don't have guns and badges. Um, this is a violent crime that's happening and we need law enforcement to understand it and, and intervene in it. And to some mm-hmm. degree it's happening, but I personally seen in our sphere here in Los Angeles, uh, a reduction in boots on the street from mm-hmm. law enforcement, both police and sheriff. And, so now they're forced to only respond to the high profile visible crimes and human trafficking predominantly is in the shadows mm-hmm. and it's being perpetrated against people that society has already written off largely. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a brutal. And then you have, you know, certain district attorneys or certain governors in certain States a certain political ideology that are thinking less is better and they're changing laws. We just had a, a law, reversed here in the state of California by the governor that was really helpful in catching the criminals. And he, he got a bad perspective and bad information, although we, we pushed hard to get him the right information. Mm-hmm. Um, so laws are changing that are hurting our population that we serve. Can, can you explain that example? Cause I'm curious to know what, what that law was. Uh, SB, I want to say 358. I could be wrong. 350, 58. Anyway, there's a law on the books there was until very recently that gave law enforcement a tool to detain or arrest someone for quote loitering with the intent of prostitution. Now the way this crime works is that, uh, the, the, the traffickers are circling around, the buyers are circling around and then those that are being exploited trafficked are standing there looking and it, it comes real obvious. It looks like, okay, this is quote prostitution, which mm-hmm. is already illegal in California. But the loitering part, the hanging around, the waiting for it to happen, to cause it to happen was a okay. law that, that was used where if if a cop saw that that was happening, suspected it was happening because that law was in force, he could detain some. We're not arresting the girl who's on the corner anymore. That's an old law that was taken away. But they could detain her and get her out of there for her safety. Okay. Or they could erase, they, they could arrest and detain the buyer or the trafficker to help get the crime. But now... Uh, I don't know if you really want to go down this path, <laughs> but but um, the, the the proponents of overturning that law say that it was unfairly targeting black and brown. I knew they were going to say that. I li- I literally was in my brain saying, "Okay, progressives in Los Angeles are going to say that this is having a disproportionate impact yes. on black and brown women." Oh my god! It's exactly what the what it was, uh, and all of us anti trafficking agencies. We spend our life advocating for and fighting for black and brown women and others, but that's the majority of it. And we have black and brown women on our staff and that are survivors out to say, don't do this. And the political ideology of our current governor and the people in his ear, uh, he overturned a really uh, really important tool that allowed us to fight this crime. (laughs) <laughs> I, I wish I wish those sort of things still surprised me. But like, uh, I went to I went to California. I went to Los Angeles and San Francisco for the first time in my life in 2019. And there were some things I witnessed and observed there, not human trafficking related, but some of the some of the drug issues, some of the uh, issues with pe- homeless people out on the street, some of the uh, shoplifting and all that. And I was so curious because, again, coming from the UK, look, there 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 are problems that exist in the UK, but there are things that are infinitely worse in the u.s in certain pockets in the u.s than anything you'll find in in my home country 
And my mind was kind of blown. And I was talking to people and people were explaining whether it was the fact that, you know, you can shoplift or cause criminal damage up to $900 without it being a felony, or the fact that you can just inject heroin on the street and people can just do hard drugs on the street and the police don't really have the power to step in and intervene unless there's like a violent incident taking violent incident taking place and I, my, my mind was so confused and i, I was it, it was very odd i was talking to uber drivers i was talking to all these different people just trying to work because i could see it with my own eyes that was the weird thing i was like I, right. I was seeing this and people were kind of just going about like oh this is normal this is la this is how things go and I'm just like, this is not normal. Like, what are the ideas and the laws that are happening that are allowing this? So when you say something like what you just said about that, about that law or that bill being struck down, it's, it sounds unbelievable, but I'm just like, oh yeah, that's how they, that's how they go. It's like this very weird inverted thinking. And it's odd because it's always comes under the banner in this guise of we are compassionate. We care yeah. about the most marginalized and right. the most uh overlooked people in society and so on but then they put in stuff or take away stuff that protects them i mean the entire yeah. dismantle the police abolish right. the police that, right. that's a perfect example because it's like well who does that who does that hurt who yeah. is that primarily targeting and they'll be like okay well we're we're stopping um these people from being arrested or being uh having interactions with the police but then it's like well you're now making them you're creating an opening for actual predators of different yeah. sorts yeah. to to target them. And then you're taking away the power and the number of, you know, police are not perfect, far from it. But you are, you know, but if you're in trouble, <laughs> yeah. if, if you're in trouble, who, who would you like to be to, to be to be present? So I don't know. It's 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 very weird to me. It actually makes no sense. I don't understand how an intelligent person could think that because there were a few bad examples and we can argue about the number and all that, I don't know, but because there have been some examples of bad policing against quote, the black and Brown community, the answer is get rid of all cops. Mm -hmm. Bad people are going to fill that gap with bad intentions. And we're seeing it played out every day on the news. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. And in our particular city and many others around the country, you have district attorneys who are succumbing to that same flawed thinking and now they aren't prosecuting people mm -hmm. lots of people they're going quote soft on crime if you will or they they're letting people or they're letting people out letting them out they're not prosecuting in the first place and so now you've got law enforcement that are still here wanting to do a good job but they're demoralized and like why put all this extra effort into investigating into this crime when i know they're gonna get thrown out on day one so now their hands are tied we're in this free fall we're in a moral free fall and a, and a clear thinking free fall here in this country. I don't know what it's going to take to change it, except we get enough good, strong men to stand up and speak clear, clear and do the right things and fight the right fights. Uh, that's the only answer I have. I hear that. Well, Alan, I commend you for the work that you are doing and dedicating so much of your life and your time and your energy to this. I hope that this conversation has certainly raised awareness for all of my listeners, and just put it on people's radar. Alan's given some suggestions of things that you can do. You can, of course, check out his book. One more time, where, where can people get the book? 
Uh, it's, it's for sale on Amazon. You can okay. find it right there. But we have created a little website called fightforme.net. Go to fightforme.net and we're keeping the story alive. There's other things to look at, to watch. You can buy the book off the site. There's a link, obviously. and But there's some video blogs of the survivors that have uh, you know been part of it. And we're actually, this is a little a preview of coming attractions, Zuby. We're actually in the process just finishing putting it all on audiobook right now. Okay. It'll be out later this fall. We ha- we're doing something unique. We're having all the survivors and a lot of other people coming in using their voice, telling their story. It's not just me reading the book. Uh, it's going to be this conversation with the real people that are in the book. It's going to be really cool. And uh, so I'll, I'll, maybe I'll email you when it gets available and you can help me with that. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. Awesome. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And please continue with your fantastic and important work. Thanks for having me, Zuby. I appreciate you on the good side of this fight. And uh, I'm a fan. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.